Hello and welcome to Forget the Numbers, the ACCA student podcast. I'm Connor and I'm here once again remotely with Alan. Hello. This week on the show, we dive into what we consider one of the most underutilized resources all students have access to, the examiner reports. These were released recently alongside the March results and we'll be adding our detailed tutor debrief of each subject's examiner report to the LearnSignal site this week. But before we do so, we want to talk today about some of the main points identified and why all students should be using these. We also look at recent news stories in these unusual times, including the dramatic impact on oil prices recently, before getting to this week's student question. So, Alan, starting off, we are, both of us are very familiar with examiner reports and we have been very deep in preparing our debriefs. But I suppose something that all surprises us is that a lot of students don't know what these are. They haven't used these. They aren't familiar that they are released every sitting. So do you want to just give a quick overview of, of what the examiner reports actually are? Yes. Yeah, so like, to be honest, they're the greatest insight into the examiner of your exam paper that you're ever going to get. Because the one thing that you don't get um, when, like, so with Learn Signal, you get access to our 24-hour help desk and you watch all our videos and we do the webinars, but you're never talking to the people who actually wrote your exam paper. Those people aren't front and center from the ACCA. They don't, they don't appear on webinars or podcasts. They don't get, you don't get the chance to ask them questions. But every time there's an exam sitting in ACCA, each examiner tells you in about four to six pages what they think students did well and what they think students did badly. And no matter what kind of walk of life in education you are, if you kind of go through all of these exams, so let's say AFM to use it as an example, and you go to AFM and you see students are constantly making the same mistakes in one or two or three areas, what they'll do is they'll keep on testing those areas until students start doing them better. And then they'll find more areas. So it re- like if you look at an exam, students are always looking at tips oh, can you give me some tips? And then we say, have you read the examiner's report? They go, no. Well, like, there is a tip. <laughs> the biggest tip you can you can have is to read an examiner's report and, and you get an insight into, into what you can do. And, like, at the end of the day, this is effectively the person marking your exam paper. So surely the best thing to do is actually to listen to them. And if they say they want things presented in a certain way, present them in a certain way, because at least you know you're making that person happy. And you've talked lots of times before, Connor, about kind of getting into the head of the examiner and kind of impressing the examiner. And if they say, oh, I said to do this, and they're listening to me, automatically they're on your side. Yeah, and I think your point there around tips being the single thing we're asked for most on webinars when we get questions in from students everyone is looking for easy extra marks and you know things simple things that they can do that gets them more marks that makes the paper easier kind of looking for shortcuts well the closest thing that we always say and it, you know it's not it's not necessarily tips or shortcuts but it's if you're looking for easy extra marks it's reading those examiner reports and watching the debriefs because what we always say is you know it's worth probably up to two three percent that looking at that and keeping those things in your mind over your study that it, doing that alone might add that percent and it's as you said a, a kind of four page report so being underutilized would be a bit of an understatement we just think these are it's basically the solution to the thing all students want but the thing that they ignore the most yeah, it's gold dust it's, it's like i can't believe you didn't see the fact that the like the sbl 
examiner report talks about how people still don't lay out questions well and that that it's really that students lose marks because they don't lay it out well so it's hard for the examiner to give to, to find the marks and you kind of go well what should i work on mostly when i'm practicing my questions my layout because i know that's what's important to the examiner it's just uh, it re- I, it's it surprises and i think it's been surprising us for a number of years now a number of sittings and we'll continue to do so and we'll continue to say the same things um and like as we say it's the copy and paste for the examiner the comments are generally the same in all and very similar across all subjects and the ones that are subject specific kind of come up again and again and i know we look at each other and we go how why why don't they read this but they seem not to yeah and i think um and we've tried lots of different ways to draw attention to this but i think when we did our our um we did a previous podcast where we, I think we'd looked at some of the December comments and we called it, why are you ignoring free marks? And I think that was yeah. the first time that we started to, um, to get a lot of traction or a lot of people to listen in. So one of the things I wanted to talk about now and maybe kind of debunk for students, because I think one of the excuses students use is that, you know, if they've just passed an exam, why would I read that examiner report? Or similarly, if I haven't sat an exam, why would I read the examiner report for a paper I haven't done yet but I suppose it's trying to get your head around how useful that information is for all students so the first thing that that I would kind of highlight is that if you are preparing for a paper even if you're unfamiliar with that subject reading that examiner report now and building that advice specific to that subject into your exam is going to be of a huge benefit to you Similarly, for if you are resetting an exam, I would say that the other point I would say for anyone who's just sat an exam, whether you've passed that exam or failed it, I think it's hugely important to, once again, look at the examiner report for the subject you've just done. If you're preparing for a reset, that might be obvious because you can learn, you know, maybe what you should have done differently, maybe where you fell down in that paper. But similarly, for anyone who's just passed an exam, I would still tell you, go back and read the examiner's report for the exam you've just passed. And you might find out areas you could have prepared better, areas you are on the right track that you need to keep doing, or still just, you know, pick up those lessons and insights that are relevant for all exams about how you could continue to prepare for it. So really, these are useful for everyone, whether you've just passed or failed an exam and for the exam you're preparing for, you know, you should be reading multiple reports. And what I would say is not just even for the last sitting, but you can go back three, four sittings and really get a good understanding of of what's involved in that subject. Yeah, and I think if you read three or four, you really would get into the, does does an exam, does a, a report written by the examining team for SPL called Getting Into the Mind of the Examiner and or Getting Into the Mind of the Marker. And you really do get into the mind of the examiner and the marker if you read two or three or four of these because you find, yes, a certain question might appear, might be very specific in the, in the feedback, but most of the time it's kind of repetitive. They talk about how students are getting better or worse at a certain thing, and it really is a signpost. And, and I think reading three or four of them, uh, I think reading the, one, the exam you've just done, even though you've passed, because especially though you've passed, because you've done really well, but then you, you kind of read and, and the examiner says, oh, people still didn't do this well. 
And kind of go, well, I didn't do that and I passed. Imagine how much I'd be better in my next exam if I did what I did to pass and I did these things I still didn't do as well. And I think they're just great opportunities to just to get the like two or three percent. And there's people listening to this going, what's two or three percent? And well, when we had our webinar for results week the other week, you saw lots of people very sad because of two or three percent was the difference between passing and failing. So it is a massive number. Yeah, and I think and the similar point on that is the amount of students that get onto us that are so surprised that they've passed and they don't really understand why they've passed and they, they just don't dig into it because they're worried if they think too much about it, <laughs> it might go away. So, But that's the other useful thing of this examiner report. You might actually see what you're doing well and, and what was the difference in your script, even if you maybe struggled with some of the knowledge, but what was the exam technique that was getting you over the line? And, you know, we always talk about how exam technique is something you have to consciously practice and think about and think about on the day. So understanding that and understanding what's working for you or what you need to work on is really important. Well, imagine if you didn't know why you passed an exam. If you didn't understand why you passed an exam, and if the thing that helped you pass the exam was the thing you stopped doing the next time because yeah. you didn't understand it. Uh, and and then you'll be stuck wondering, well, why did I do well in that one and not in that one? And there won't be any logic. There won't be any learning. And ACCA is all about learning, not just the content, but the experience of moving from one exam to the next to give you that that kind of comfort and structure or whatever you want to call it to 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 attack the next exam so it's such a huge part you need to understand like people take when they get success they forget that it's as important to check why something went well as opposed to why something went badly people always think why did it go badly i have to investigate it but understanding why something went well will actually make sure that you will lessen your chances of failing an exam in the future as well yeah absolutely and so what I want to get into now is, I suppose, uh, the kind of key advice that, that comes out of these reports. And this is applicable across all subjects. And one of the things I noticed certainly when, when doing these and when thinking about this podcast was that you could actually take the advice in any one subject and someone could use that to prepare for their exam. So you could read uh, a taxation examiner's report and I think that would be of huge help to you preparing for your SBL exam <laughs> I think you could yeah. use the advice in any one of these if you can just think about it in the context of what you're preparing for we always talk as well about how you know sitting on sitting you could nearly just cross out the date and add the previous one and the examiner's report would work because it's the same core advice and it's the same key mistakes that students are making um, that's causing them to fall down. So even though this, some of this advice might seem high level, this is the bits of advice that were in every examiner's report. And again, if you can take on board this and improve on this, you're going to be at such a disadvantage for your exam. So the first one, which I will start with, Alan, is, and it, again, it might seem like the most obvious, is reading the requirements of the question. Um, again, if if I was a student and someone said that to me, I'd be thinking, well, that's obvious. I don't need to work on that. But it's so essential that you understand what you're being asked and then answer that question that's being asked. And if you can, you know, cement what the requirement is and make sure you're not straying away from that and make sure you're hitting those key points, you're, you're going to be at a huge advantage. Whereas the amount of students who misinterpret a requirement, don't answer part of a requirement, and they're just leaving marks behind on the paper 
which is costing them the difference between passing and failing. Yeah, and then when like you talk about answering the question, and, and they go, "Well, I always talk, I always answer the question. Of course, I answer the question. It's an exam." Um, but I think there's a number of examiners in ACCA that use the same phrase is, and we would always say is, ask, answer the question that you've been asked. Don't answer the question you want to, you want to be asked. And, um, and just because it mentions whatever leasing in a question and you write everything you need to know about leasing, that doesn't mean that's what they were looking for. And I, I think the, there's a couple of things that, you talk about people not answering all the requirements and there's a few things that like in an ACCA question, you might have, let's say a question one and APM is split into a number of different areas and you might get, let's say 10 marks for the, for the final part. And that's one line. But, but also what that says to you is that, but that one line could have a number of ands in it. So like answer this and do this and comment on this. And quickly that 10 mark one line question becomes um, three different requirements in one single question. Yeah. And, and students generally miss that because, uh, and the verb and, and like kind of, are they asking you to describe? Are they asking you to assess? Are they asking you to discuss? The verb that they tell you at the beginning, if somebody tells you to jump in the air, you don't run down the road. And, and yeah. that happens an awful lot because the, the students get drawn to the topic area. So it might be discuss or it might be list or it might be anything about leasing. But that verb at the beginning changes the whole expectation of the examiner. So it's like consider every word is important, especially in the requirements section. Yes, in some of the scenarios, there's a lot of, we would call them red herrings and a lot of information that's not always relevant. Um, but in the requirements, every word has been thought about. It's been planned out. It's been read thousands of times. It's been considered that every word has an impact on what you're supposed to do. And it, it, there's nothing rambling in the requirements. It's very precise. And you need to read every word nearly very carefully and think about for 30 seconds what exactly they're looking for. Yeah, and I'm going to jump on another point, which actually ties into that, which people sometimes forget, and that's around time management. And no matter how often you say it, that this is something people still struggle with in exams. We still hear a huge amount of students who, despite performing well, fail because they don't answer all questions. So consciously managing your time throughout and having a system where you split your time based on the number of marks available is hugely important. But tying back into those points that we mentioned there, if you aren't reading the requirement carefully and you find yourself doing surplus to the requirement because you haven't necessarily understood it, you can affect the the time you have for other questions and it can uh, derail your whole exam and one that often gets highlighted is a question that just asks you to calculate and mm. then students are going into detail about explaining the calculations explaining the impact explaining what you should do from this and writing long paragraphs on it when all they actually had to do was calculate the figure so that again comes back to reading the requirement and considering the verb and what it entails but that has a huge effect on time management. And if, you know, not just are you maybe losing marks on that question, it can actually spill over into all your other questions. And the sum of, sometimes in the examiner reports, you see when the word calculate is used, the stu you find out the examiners will then tell you that the students did everything but calculate. 
Yeah. A lot of them didn't do the calculation because they were too busy writing about whether it was leasing or whether it was Ansoff's matrix or whatever it is. They saw a term and then, oh, I know so much about that. And as you said, they're asked to calculate or they're asked to do a specific task. And they get so caught up that for a 10 mark question that they're just spending 18 minutes on, they spend 40 minutes on writing everything and got zero marks. Yeah, and I think, again, that ties into another point we, we've noted, and you will see this in every examiner's report, is that it's all about tying your technical knowledge with application to the scenario. Everything comes down to application to a scenario given. At applied skill level, there will be some standalone knowledge questions, but when there is a scenario, the questions after that will need you to be taking information from that scenario and tying things back to the scenario. And you won't be able to do that if you're trying to use rote learned answers or if you're just listing generic learnt off um, answers because that's not going to be sufficiently applied to that scenario. So I think that is a hugely important thing to remember. And the unfortunate thing is oftentimes students know the technical area, they know the knowledge, um, but they just are so consumed by writing that knowledge answer down that they forget that they just need to simply tie it back to the scenario, which will often be quite quite obvious how you need to do that, but it's costing them potentially half the marks on the question. And I think that's why some of the pass rates for the applied skills are going down or are in a negative way competing with the strategic professional pass rates because... Um, since the changes in the paper and all the multiple choice questions, the the chances of getting a purely theoretical question, even in an applied skills paper, is actually now very small because there's nearly because there's only except for audit, but there's usually only two twenty more questions. So there's nearly always a scenario. There's nearly always a a company. And even if, if they ask a question, um, a theoretical question, they'll still say, oh, what will this company do in the event of a fraud? How would you recommend to this company? And even if there's no detail in it, they want you to address the company. So lesson, like rote learning is, and I think that must be the most com- one of the most common terms as well in the, management rep- in the examiner reports, rote learning just doesn't work. And the examiners are writing these exam papers to effectively punish rote learning more and more and and that's probably the reason and that's back to if you're rote learning you're answering the question you wanted to be asked not answering the question that was asked and rote learning gets you into that i look for my buzzword there's my buzzword i know so much about that i'm going to write four pages when a half a page that was relevant to to the case study would have actually got you a good chunk of marks and you would have been moving on to the next question yeah and i think just to to group a few other elements together you know one of the things that's unavoidable that's mentioned in all papers is how you need to cover the full syllabus the the papers are all compulsory questions um and if you're leaving gaps in the syllabus you are gambling with potentially leaving a huge portion that you're unable to do where i've noticed this a lot recently from talking with students and from reading examiner reports is at applied skills level people ignoring smaller syllabus areas but these then come up as an ot case which is worth 10 marks, so 10% or is worth 10% of the paper. And they don't know that syllabus area. So immediately they can't answer any questions on that case and it's putting them at a huge disadvantage. So I think at, at this point, it's all if it's all compulsory questions, you need to understand that you have to cover all of that, but you also have to 
draw upon the kind of assumed knowledge from previous courses and you need that good foundation there as well because you know it's it's not just going to focus on very technical new areas at strategic professional level let's say you still need to have that good base that you can draw knowledge from yeah no i agree and and it's just we're kind of we're here talking um, and usually if we were in person, I'd be giving you funny looks right now thinking, how are they not listening? How are they not listening? Yeah. How are they not listening? And I think there's so much in here that even if you never read an exam report, listening to this podcast, have a checklist in your head and don't do any of the things we've talked about here. And you'll probably, uh, we talked about two or three percent. I have to say, I think if you do all of these in this way, it's worth more. Yeah, so I think um, if we haven't made it clear enough at this point, the the first thing you should be doing after listening to this is downloading that examiner's report. Um, the second thing is keeping an eye out this week for when we put up our tutor debriefs because it goes into more detail about all the, the areas we've talked about. It goes into further detail about specific um, tips and areas you can work on for your subject. And it also just cements some important things in your mind like we talked about there about being professional managing your time how to approach exam papers so all things that are hugely useful and important for you studying and then preparing for that next exam So, Alan, we're going to focus on one news story this week because it, it kind of is a, a bit of a crazy um, business and really economic story that, that is hard to comprehend, but certainly ties in with um, everything that's so crazy that's going on in the world at the moment. So you are going to give us a bit of an update on this story on oil prices. Yeah, so it's a real like it's it's everything in one product is all as you said it's all the craziness so um there's a story about the uk benchmark for oil um is now around 16 dollars a barrel now a couple of years ago three or four years ago oil was heading towards 200 dollars a barrel so that puts it in some context um but you look in the u.s and the west texas intermediate um which is the benchmark for u.s oil fell below zero for the first time ever in the last few days and people go what does what does a negative or what does falling below zero and if you think when um when interest rates fall below, below zero, what happens is that they, um, they you actually lose money by by giving it to your bank. So if your bank is charging you less money, if the bank is charging you negative interest rates, it means that if you gave them 100 euro in a year's time, you'd get less than 100 euro back. Right now, uh, from an oil company perspective, what they're saying is that, well, if you had the storage capacity, we'd give you oil and we'd pay you to take it. Not to buy it off, as we pay you to take it, and you just kind of look at the the extraordinary logic behind that is that uh, you just imagine all the Texans filling up their turning <laughs> up at these oil places with with trucks. Yeah, and, and, and but it's it's quite extraordinary when you think about it, um, and there's there's nothing, and I guess like everything going on in the in the morning, um, and and a quote is that nobody in their lifetime has seen anything like this, and. That goes for everything that's happening, and that goes for oil in a microcosm. And I think it is a little, it is a, it is a little microcosm that represents how the world is going. And like when you look at 
the different things. There's a, a bit of a price war going on that started before COVID-19 really took hold. Um, but if you think of people aren't driving because we're all in some form of lockdown. So the amount of driving has decreased dramatically. Air travel has decreased more than dramatically. It's effectively nearly come to a standstill. Um, factories have closed down. So everything that need, uh, and like, it's not the factories run on oil, but the, the demand for electricity in countries has, has reduced because factories aren't running and a lot of com- countries use electricity or use oil to power their electricity. So if you think of all of the things that will are driving that, um, but production still goes on, these big drills are still stuck in the ground and they're still yeah. <laughs> sucking up oil. Um, and it's, it's quite an amazing story to represent, I guess, the world right now. Um, but I think there's another side of this because people think, well, will I, they're driving up to the pumps and they're kind of going, well, it's not that much different. Um, and I think that's where people are missing out uh, on on that. But I think that's mainly because a lot of the your fuel is actually in tax right now in an awful lot of countries. Yeah. But it's just a, it's a, I think it's a really dramatic story because it's kind of, it's, it's a consequence nobody ever thought of. No, uh, I, I think... And, one of the the interesting things I find is it's it's kind of this stark example of you know demand and supply economics that you you could say in theory if there was an oversupply of oil that you know oil companies might have to pay people because there's not sufficient demand and it's it's kind of taking these huge concepts and then seeing them roll out in in the real world and you know something that i was um looking at that i found really interesting was if you imagine this in any other industry something like this happening and i was looking at ourselves who are in online education imagine we have surplus education that we actually pay students to learn with us because yeah, they're, get, we, they're we getting refunds once they study <laughs> yeah yeah and like trying to apply that that logic of what's going on in the oil industry to to other or companies whereas you know you you often see that demand gets low so, so the price goes down but to actually see something hit a negative where you are paying people to take a product off to your, your hands is fascinating one of the other interesting things just I saw is the effect it it had. I saw Tesla's share price has been um, falling the last few days again because it's suddenly cheaper to to drive a normal car with the expectation that um, petrol prices will go down and, and gas prices so that people think, well, maybe electric isn't uh, going to result in such a cheaper alternative. So they're seeing a hit yeah. there. But I think that the other thing about fuel is that oil companies and petrol companies who own a lot of, obviously, petrol stations um, all around the world, they're looking at it from a perspective of, well, do they actually have to increase the price of fuel to offset the profits they're losing out on by not selling so much? So although the logic of saying, well, if I drove up my car and they were pumping petrol from the ground, I could fill up my car. And in theory, they'd pay me to fill up my car with petrol. Mm-hmm. When you actually go to the, the local petrol station or gas station, that might not be. You might actually see the price of petrol starting to creep up because they're, they're passing on the, um, the reduced profitability to the customer, which is often happens in business. If the cost of a business goes up, generally the price goes up. And instead yeah, of the, cause their costs going up, it's their, it's their revenue and their profits going down, and they're looking at different ways of, of getting that. So if you're doing a lot less driving, although the amount you spend on fuel might dramatically decrease, 
the amount you spend per litre of usage, you may find creeping up and creeping up by quite a bit so they can recover that. So that's yeah. when you look at consumer company, people who are looking after consumer affairs, that is their concern is that there's only one real way that petrol stations and petrol companies can really recoup lost revenue. It's by increasing the price of what people are still buying. Yeah, and then what you get into is the petrol stations who are trying to spread that cost because they've reduced business, but other ones are trying to undercut them with fuel prices. And then, you know, there's there's price competition coming between the different petrol companies. So it's, again, I just think it's it's this fascinating story, which not just shows you at the, the high level demand supply of a product, but also how different companies compete with each other, the implications of that being passed on to customers. And it's kind of, it's like something if you read in an, an economics textbook, you'd say, well, that's, that's ridiculous. It's never going to happen. But we're, we're really just seeing this unfold. Try us for free by registering for a basic plan on LearnSignal.com to get everything you need to pass your exams. So Connor, there's a student question this week um, and they are asking, should they focus on getting through the content from now until the revision bootcamp or is there any other advice that you would have? Yeah, so again, this is something which has come up often on the weekly webinars and it's it's really a bit of a misconception. Students say, well, should I just be focusing on getting through the content? And they think of it in terms of videos and reading notes and then leave my question practice until revision bootcamp, which is kind of the month before the exam, when actually how we structure all our courses and how we structure that content phase is it includes a lot of practice questions and learning through doing question practice. So for anyone who's who's been on our ACCA course pages recently, you'll have seen we've had a, a restructure across um, all our applied skills and strategic professional subjects. So now within a module, you might watch two or three videos, do a short MCQ to test your understanding, but then you move into a CBE practice that you quest, you answer a question to really test your understanding and cement that knowledge, and then you can look at a tutor solution walking through the answer. So while Revision Bootcamp is very much focused on just question practice and improving that exam technique, this content phase still includes that question practice and you should make sure you're you're doing that because um, you know the biggest risk I'd say to students at the moment and we always get asked in the webinar is that you just focus on videos and notes and then by the time you get close to the exam you've no skills and experience of actually applying that to scenarios. So I think um, for anyone who's asking on that this content phase, if you're following it on LearnSignal, it incorporates all of that really good um, question practice and test questions within each module. So as long as you continue to work that through that, you're going to be in a really good position by the time you get to Revision Bootcamp. So we're going to finish up there today. Once again, look out for those examiner report debriefs, which we'll have up on the site during the week. And from us, best of luck with your study, and we'll talk to you again next week.